0: Welcome to the Awake Church podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. All right, so I want to talk a little bit today. Of course, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but... Uh, Leading up to that, I want to talk about remembrance. Remembrance is really important. If you remember the right things, right? Sometimes remembrance is not good if you're remembering something that was really foul or bad and that just keeps coming back to your mind. Those are the kind of things we have to take to the Lord, uh, either get forgiveness from or forgive others, get set free from, and where that thing isn't a plague to us. But remembering the right things is a powerful thing. It's so vital that we remember certain things. That's why I think one of the reasons why our country has set up holidays, so that you remember these certain things. When Martin Luther King Jr. Day comes around, I remember the life that he lived, the way that he lived, the the things that he did for us, all of the other holidays that we have throughout the year. It's a time to remember what someone else has done for us, whether it's our veterans, Uh, what they've done for us, for our nation. But when it comes to our personal lives, in addition to the nation that we live in, a lot of remembrances are important for me. One is my anniversary, right? That's important. Uh, I've had 25 of those with my wife, and every time they come around, uh, you know, it's a moment for us to take time and remember all those years ago, That amazing thing that happened, that God brought two people from opposite ends of the country, completely different backgrounds, somehow miraculously, supernaturally together. And it causes awe and wonder all over again and thankfulness for what God has done for us. It's a great remembrance. It's the same with when my kids have their birthdays. I remember back. To each one of them being born, some of the best days, if not the best days of my life, when, is when this child comes out. And it is a miracle. And it doesn't even make sense how this happened. And uh, this gift that God has given to us in the life of a person. And so their birthdays are remembrances for me for about that. Um, and then, of course, we have the spiritual remembrances, the ones that God said, I want you to remember these things, because we as humans are not the best at remembering the right things sometimes. So he set things up a long time ago for us to remember what he has done. You know, there's always been so much more done for us than has ever been done to us. Do You realize that, right? Always, a thousand, a million times more things have been done for us than have ever been done to us. But the things that have been done to us tend to be the things that we remember rather than the things that have been done for us, which is why we need days like this that are kind of forcing us in a sense to go, oh my goodness, yes. All these other things don't matter. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Now, with um, Israel, the things that the Lord did for them, just as a, a snapshot here, which is really a reflection of all of humanity, I think. In the book of Numbers, way back, chapter 11, verse 5, after they'd been set free from slavery for hundreds of years of slavery, set free supernaturally, they're out in the desert wandering around. It hadn't been long since they'd had their freedom. And here's what they say. We remember The fish we used to eat without cost in Egypt. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we are famished. We have nothing to look forward to but this manna. That was the words of people who misremembered some things. They said the food was free. Was the food free in Egypt? No, they paid for it through their enslavement. That food wasn't free. And all they have now to look at is this manna. What was manna? Supernatural provision that suddenly arrived. But their memories got wacky. They misremembered the reality of the goodness of God, the power of God, the love of God, and the supernatural provision every single day. And so I need these Reminders, we all need these reminders, because life, life's difficulties and the present tend to try to pry us away from remembering the amazing and the things that God does for us every single day. So today is one of these days to remember. not remembering a fairy tale, but remembering the reality of the Savior in God who came for us and has risen from the dead. It's a reality. It's not a fairy tale, that it's not some sort of made-up Christian story that we go, ooh, that's so nice, what a great story. No, it's not just a great story. It is the greatest story, for one, but it's a reality. Do you realize that the event, the ancient event of the resurrection of the dead of Jesus is probably the most historically um, proven event in history, not just from the scriptures, we have the scriptures that, I mean, you got the uh, four gospels, four different writers talking about that happening, but then you've got 16 extra biblical writers who lived at that time who wrote about this. You have 500 people who witnessed Jesus after he rose from the dead. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of writings of people who wrote about the resurrection. From way back, first starting with the first century, on, onwards, all these thousands of documents. Christian, non-Christian, Jewish, non-Jewish, writing about what happened through Jesus. And it wasn't just those writings that prove it, either. Think about this. If you were writing a fake story back in that time especially, would you write something about the first people who really believed and went to the tomb were women? And it was their story of him being risen from the dead that you'd believe? You would not, do, you choose that one. They didn't trust the word of women back in those days. So you wouldn't have written that as part of the story. Also, you wouldn't have written, you wouldn't have written that the heroes, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were shut up in a room in fear, afraid for their lives, and left Jesus when he needed them the most. You wouldn't have written that in there. So the story itself proves that it's true, as well as all the documented evidence of all of the, the people who were there, that the firsthand folks and those who wrote it down. Pretty amazing. But I want to remember a little bit about this story before we, we get there. And I want to go back a little bit because it's important to realize the context of something. I always, I see it as important, the context of a story. Now, I remember reading in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, it's a story of Stephen, the life of Stephen. And at one point, Stephen shares in front of the Sanhedrin the story of basically creation and God's um, love and his provision and the story, the journey of humanity through time. And as he shares that, the Pharisees get angry. They go to kill him and stone him. But Stephen sees Jesus, and at the story of creation and all the way to that moment, Jesus stands up next to the Father at the throne, at hearing in context what he had really done for mankind. There's something about this story that is not only captivating, but it it, it shares in context the beauty and the love of God. And so we know that God is love. He doesn't just have some, he is love. It's who he is. We're looking for love, it's in him. He's the one who had it from the very beginning, it is what he's made of. It's the essence of God, it's love. From love he created the universe and mankind. He created us for fellowship, to be with him, to partner with us, not just Some creatures living somewhere separate from him, he created us to be near him, close to him, for fellowship and friendship. And then as we know, people turn their back on God, they listen to the devil rather than God. And the scripture says that when you obey someone, you become their slave. You're the slave of the one that you obey. They obeyed the enemy, the devil, and so the devil became their master. And that went on for thousands of years as mankind chose to not listen to God, chose to listen to the enemy and just fulfill the the fleshly desires, their own wants, and that we enter killing and rape and murder and all of these things came through a result of moving away from God. But God never lets us go. He doesn't give up on us. Aren't you so thankful for that? He's never given up on you. He's never given up on me. He didn't give up on humanity. He starts making a plan. He knew, of course, we would fall, but he makes a plan. He chooses one man, Abraham, and he says, how about we do this? I'm gonna choose this man, and then through his line, I'm gonna bless the entire earth, but I'm going to bring a savior through that line, and I'm gonna surprise the world And save them even though they've rejected me. I'm going to help out. So he chooses the line of Abraham. And the descendants of Abraham at one point get enslaved for hundreds of years. We know the story. They're in Egypt. They first thrived there. And then out of fear, the Egyptians controlled them, made them slaves. And then God chose a man named Moses to deliver them from their slavery. You know the story. The Pharaoh's not happy about it. God uses supernatural means to set them free. Ten plagues, we know about the plagues. The last one had to do with the angel of death coming and killing the firstborn of the Egyptians or the firstborn of any family that didn't have the blood applied over the doorposts of their house. And so on that night, At the last plague, at the beginning of freedom that's about to begin, what happens is God gives some instructions to Moses. He says, Tell the people this, have them take a spotless, unblemished lamb, little lamb. Now, on that day, most of the lambs lived indoors with the family. So, this little lamb has been playing with the kids, it's probably been named. But he says, if you take that unblemished male lamb and you kill it, and you take the blood of that innocent lamb that doesn't deserve to die, and you will apply that blood on the doorposts, on the sides, and the top over your house. And then if you cook that lamb and you receive it into yourself, you eat it all, you will be saved, you and your household. They do that. The ones, I'm sure there are probably a few that didn't, said, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do that. But most of them did. As they applied this blood, they didn't know there was something greater that they were prophesying of something that would happen in the future. But they did that. The death angel came. It skipped over all homes of those who had eaten of the lamb and had it applied its blood to their house, to their home. They were all saved. They then are freed. They go into the wilderness for 40 years and then the promised land and they move forward. And God says to them after this event, I want you to celebrate this deliverance. It's gonna be called the Passover because the death angel passed over their homes. Celebrate this eat this meal, and remember this victory. Remember these little lambs that saved your lives. And so for 1,400 years, the Jewish people celebrated the Passover. Every year, killing a lamb and remembering the lambs that saved their lives. Years ago, they did this over and over and over, remembering God's deliverance, remembering God's deliverance. They're still doing this today, Thousands of 3,400 years later, still doing this. But 1,400 years later came Jesus into the earth. And he was the one that God chose. Because here's the thing, that little lamb's blood protected them from the death angel for that moment, but that lamb's blood did not set them free from sin and help them live eternally. There had to be greater, more perfect blood. There had, because whether we realize it or not, in the universe, the way that it works, and I don't understand it, is that blood covers sin. That's the way that it works. That's the way that God has set this up. And to cover the sin of all humanity, to take away our sin, to, to restore relationship, what is required was perfect perfect blood which didn't exist on the earth the only perfect blood was in would be in the son of god god says we've got to make it and the only way to do that was to send jesus the son of god into the earth and when he went into the earth imagine this jesus in heaven with all power all authority he created with his father the worlds the universe, it says in Proverbs 8, and when he said yes to this mission, he basically jumped. And as he jumped from heaven to the earth, he changed form. He kept getting reduced and reduced and reduced, dimensions flying off of him until he became a microscopic seed. The power of God, the person of God, concentrated into a seed carried by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit implanted the seed in the womb of a teenage woman named Mary. And that concentrated God in seed form, having been reduced and humbled as far as you could possibly be humbled, combined with the DNA of humanity. And Jesus was born as a baby grew as a toddler and then a teenager and discovered who he was, became aware that he was the son of God. And oh yes, I remember taking the leap from heaven and here I am. And carrying within his body, underneath his skin, the perfect antidote. You know, the world's looking for an antidote to COVID, right? And creating these vaccines and all this. Well, there's only one antidote to all of sin's... Uh, All of humanity's sin, and it's in the perfect blood that came from God. It's in the person of Jesus, and he was carrying it around. 33 years, here he is, the antidote to everything inside of his body. But the only way that that could come out was for him to be sacrificed, to lay his life down. And by that perfect lamb, in fact, when Jesus becomes an adult, He steps on the scene. His cousin named John the Baptist sees him for the first time. What does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God. Not behold my cousin who's grown up. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist could see it. There he is. The antidote to all the world's sin is right carried within this man who is the Lamb of God. He's the fulfillment of the ones 1,400 years ago who had a partial covering. Now it's the fullness in the person of God who calls himself the son of man. All God, all man, all together, somehow, carrying this incredible antidote. But that antidote had to escape from his sin. Excuse me, from his skin. Did I say Sin. His skin. Jesus, of course, knew the prophecies. 600 years before he was born, Isaiah said this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, which is basically whipping and beating, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But, this is the best but in the Bible. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter then like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. That was prophesied by Isaiah 600 years before Jesus came. David, a thousand years, King David, a thousand years before Jesus said this, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22. Jesus knowing those scriptures, knowing he was the the fulfillment and the antidote to sin, but also knowing he was going to have to go through something significant. He was going to have to go through crucifixion. And on the Passover evening, a couple of thousand years ago when they're celebrating the Passover as they just did this last week. Well, these wonderful kids coming up here. As they were celebrating the Passover in Jesus's day, he celebrates it with his 12 guys. And at the meal, he does something that's pretty mind-blowing, especially, and they didn't understand this, but he basically says to them, you've just eaten this lamb, but let me show you something else. And he gives them bread and he gives them wine. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. This wine is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, eat this, eat this lamb as well. Remember me. And from there, he continued the end of his ministry, which was allowing himself to be captured, to be beaten, to be whipped, for all the things that were prophesied by Isaiah and David to happen to him. He allowed it to happen. He was God, he could have stopped it, but he allowed that to happen to himself. And as he allowed those beatings, you know what started to happen? Blood started leaking out the great antidote started pouring down his body onto the ground from which he had made people. This antidote broke the power of sin, paid full price for all of our iniquity, all of our sin, all of the wrongs that we've done, all of the turning our back on God and doing things our way. All of that he paid for. This mutilated, innocent lamb, the Lamb of God, hanging from a tree, attached by nails. And then he breathed his last breath. His heart stopped. His spirit departed. A brave man named Joseph of Arimathea collected his courage, says, and asked for the body of Jesus, lays him in a tomb that was his own tomb, made for himself but had never been used before, And he places the mutilated shell of Jesus after he wraps it in linen and he lays it in a tomb. They move the stone over the front of this tomb that had been hand-carved for him. It's interesting, too, that this tomb was in a garden. You know, everything started in a garden. Formation of mankind, the breath of life, came into Adam caused him to come back to life. And here we are full circle in a garden with a man named Joseph who laid him there. And of course, Jesus had a stepfather named Joseph who saw him come into the world. He lays him in this tomb. And Jesus had prophesied to his disciples right before he died, says in Luke chapter 18, says, and Jesus took the 12 aside and told them in private, We're going to Jerusalem so that everything prophesied about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. They will betray him. They'll hand him over to the people. He's speaking in third person. And they will mock him, insult him, and spit in his face. And after they have abused and flogged the Son of Man, they will kill him. But, there's another great one. In three days he will rise again. He prophesied it. This is what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be abused. I'm going to die. But in three days, I'm coming back. Death cannot keep me in that grave as we were just singing about. Death cannot hold the one who is innocent, the Lamb of God, who came to save us. Let's read in Luke 24. We'll finish here. Luke 24, verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, They, several women, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, because they hadn't remembered what he'd said, right? Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense. They had not remembered, and they would not believe them, but Peter got up, and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen wrappings only and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened the father when he knelt in that dirt in the first garden and held this man in his arms that was not living he leaned over put his mouth on the face of adam and breathed the breath of life and adam came to life. Here in this garden, thousands of years later, here is the son of the father who he had sent and he fulfilled his mission perfectly. And the spirit of God came into that tomb, breathed the breath of life back into Jesus, filled his body. And he rose up from that grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. One time for all time so that we who believe in him also get to live forever with him. And we get to have a life here that is like the life of Jesus as he was here. That's a beautiful thing. The Bible says this. Let me read that real quickly here. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might have, might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly, we will, shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We get to walk like Jesus walked. He said that in John 14, 12. If you believe in me, you will do the same things that I'm doing and even greater things, he said, because I'm going to the Father. This is what we have. If we remember what he's done, we remember what he said, and we add what he said to my life. I'm gonna live this way. I will not allow sin to hold me down and hold me back any longer because you defeated sin and I'm in you and I died with you. So I'm therefore dead to sin too. That's what baptism is about. There are some here in this room, and you're a follower of Jesus. If you haven't been baptized in water, I encourage you to do so. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to receive the Holy Spirit as well. Those are two baptisms that are separate from salvation, that are beautiful, that are powerful, that are wonderful. The water baptism, again, is identifying with what Jesus has done and your belief in following him and you having died with him and then raised to life. We're going to do that here in just a moment. If you are here today and you don't know the love of God, you've not experienced him pursuing you, changing you into a brand new person, which is what he does. Jesus said he comes to make all things new, causes us to be a new creation, The old things pass away. The old way that I used to live, where I used to live for myself, where I used to live for just whatever I want, all those things die when we follow Jesus as we allow him to, as we give him permission. He does everything by invitation. He invited those to follow him. He invites us to follow him, invites us to uh, open up our hearts so he can dive inside by his spirit and then live within us as a brand new person. Same name, but different nature, right? That's what he has made available for us. If you have not done that, if you've not received him, I want to invite you today, just as Jesus invited. If your heart's pounding right now on the inside, that's Jesus knocking. That's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, saying, would you let me in? Would you want to follow me? Following him is different than putting him in a category of And relegating him to a moment in time like a Sunday, following him means my life is yours. My life is yours. I'm not I'm not compartmentalizing this life that I have where God I give you this much, but yet I'm gonna do my thing. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is saying, Oh my goodness, look what you've done for me. You've given everything. You've given everything, you've not held back one thing, you set me free. You broke me out of the prison of shame and sin and condemnation and death. And I get to live forever with you. I now respond to you. I open up my life and invite you in and then lead me. I will follow you. I will live for you. I'm not just gonna do my dreams. I'm gonna do your dream for my life. Completely different and it is worth it. It's where real peace happens. It's where real joy happens. Man, just this one thing alone, feeling forgiven, being forgiven, cleansed from all of my sin. You cannot put a value on that. And then you get relationship with God, relationship with him where he talks to you and you speak to him and he leads you into a purpose that he has planned from before the foundation of the world. There's nothing like it. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.